Welcome back. This is John Sadak. While you were away, we had a mound visit, and it looks like they might be making a change. Yep, yep, they're going to the lefty in the bullpen. It's Southpaw Sizzle. Here comes Stephen Offenbaker. All right, welcome into another edition of the Lefty in the Bullpen brought to you by the Locked on Reds podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker. As always, we try to bring you interesting Reds-related guests talking Cincinnati Reds baseball, and today's show is something special. We've got a first-time visitor here on the show. Uh, it's the one and only former Reds pitcher yeah. and current Bally Sports broadcaster, Sam LaCure. Sam, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Uh, you said like special and unique, and then you said me, and I was like, "Has he got the wrong guy, or what's going on here?" Hey, hey, listen, I, I sell it. I got to, I got to drive yeah, the downloads around here. I don't, I'd almost <laughs> even listen to me. <laughs> right on. Well, let's dive right into this because it is an exciting, fun time to follow the Cincinnati Reds, and it's an exciting yeah. time to come back to this team if you've been away for a while, and and you get a, a front row seat to that. And I want to start with just what's been going on down at the ballpark because everybody's been seeing what's ha happening with this team. Everybody's watching these young guys, but the fan base is just coming back in yeah. droves and you watch the Bally sports pregame and post game. And it is a party every single day down there at your desk. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. And that's been something that uh, has been really cool for me to see, um, you know, through a lot of this and, and I, and I hesitate to do it because I never want to try to make it about me. Uh, Cause it's not. Uh, but what reminds me of this is the teams that I was on in the early 2010s, right? I mean, it's hard not to make comparisons with the young group of guys and the energetic and the fan base and all that stuff. I wasn't able to get to see what I see now. You know, it was hard to see the fans. I mean, obviously I saw the stadium start to fill up as the season went on, but to see it kind of happen overnight, like it did, you know, right around when Ellie got called up. I mean, that's when, you know, you can point to that day, not not especially him. I mean, he's obviously been a piece of what's been going on here. But that day uh, certainly seemed like things changed. So for me to be out amongst it versus sitting out in the left field bullpen, uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit different animal. Um, and it's been uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of to see everybody come back to go. I go get my hair cut over in Marymont and to hear people, you know, talking about the Reds at the barber shop and, you know, going over to the coffee shop. And I hear, you know, see people wearing their gear and, you know, all the Cincinnati Connect jerseys around town. That's been really cool for me. It fires me up. Right. Um, so it makes it easier to go to work. And I need to be fired up when I'm down at the ballpark because uh, it, it gets pretty wild down there at the desk for sure, as you mentioned. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And you talk about you were a member of those those early 2010 teams that the young talent that took off some playoff appearances. You personally had a lot of success in the postseason. I think I was looking at your numbers earlier. Uh, didn't allow a postseason run. So yeah. you, you you've been there. You've done that. And and talking about you noticed over the course of that run, the fans coming in. Uh, what is the what does that do for a player? as oh, yeah. crowds get bigger and the energy gets bigger. I mean, how does, what's the impact of that on the player as that's happening? I, I try, you know, always people ask me, Hey, what do you know? How's your job? How do you like it? Blah, blah, blah. What do you think? You know, how are your ratings? I was like, I don't care. I was like, I want my job in my mind because I understand what it's like from a player. I'll get to the answer to your question is I want people to turn me off and go to the ballpark. Like, cause I understand what an impact that makes, you know, number one, it's positive reinforcement of the fact that you guys are out there, you're doing a good job, you're winning ball games. People want to come watch you play. 
why do people want to come watch us play? Because we're good and we're fun, right? And we got some swagger and whatnot. So um, what's it do for a player? It reinforces that. It, it's it, it's kind of hard to measure some of the focus level and intensity and motivate because it's got to be high all the time, right? I mean, you can't take days off in this game or you're going to get exposed. So that's why they talk about the mental grind. It's, you know, being 100% focused on every pitch of every 162 game, you know, and like what, they're 400 some pitches a game or whatever it is. I mean, it's a lot. You got to be focused. Um, but on days when you're not, on days when, you know, maybe you had a long night, maybe, you're, you know, the baby was up crying, maybe whatever it is that extra motivation from the fans, you know, starts to dull those that starts to dull negative senses, I guess I'd say, and heightens your positive ones. I, and I've never actually said it like that. Now that I say it, I'm like Ooh, light bulb. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of what it is, man. Um, they can kind of push you on, you know, like that push in the back, like just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Here's, here's five more percent gets to a big moment of the game and the play starts to buzz and here's an extra 15%, right? And, you know, you start uh, uh, doing things above norm, like, right? There's your 100% cutoff and all of a sudden there's this extra part of you you didn't know you had. And it, it kind of propels you through whatever you're going through that's negative that day. And, uh, but yeah, man, I, it, it's been so cool and <laughs> it's, it makes it a little harder to get around the ballpark. I, I can't, uh, you know, every once in a while, I, I'd like to go down and walk the concourse and go sit out in the stands and, you know, be a fan. And, you know, I'm not trying to hide from anybody, but you know, I want to come out there and watch the game too. I enjoy that part of it as well. I don't get to do that as much anymore. Uh, so I guess that's the one negative thing that I can find if I could, as I, as I, as I can't find a place to sit. Well, there you go. Uh, but no, it's been uh, it's been pretty cool. Well, let's talk about this team a little bit. And before we drill down on some of the individuals, uh, I want to I want to tap your former playing experience again uh, and talk about a specific situation this season that has me all riled up. And that's the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, yes. we've watched this Reds team continue to go out and, and go toe to toe with the with the Goliaths of of the league. Uh, we've seen them play Atlanta and all those one run games. We've seen uh, we've seen them, you know, take it to the Texas Rangers there at Great American Ballpark. We've seen this Reds team perform and perform well. And yet there's the Milwaukee Brewers. And it just okay. seems like the Brewers have this team's number. As a player, uh, being a member of a team, is there something to this that they're in their heads approach? Are, are the Brewers just, you know, psyching the Reds out at this point? What is what is the logic behind the way the Reds play against the Brewers versus everybody else? A lot there's logic I don't think really enters into baseball too much you know what I mean I mean you you got your best laid plans and you know it should go this 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 way and you make the platoon switch to bring in the lefty to face the righty and it, you know it doesn't always work out right I mean baseball it's played by humans and humans aren't very logical uh, <laughs> so I guess as far as that goes is there a psych out to it a little bit I think if anything the guys just try too hard I think they just want to beat them extra bad um, mm -hmm. and I think it began that way once you know i think that once things started to settle in the in the central that the cardinals were down and they weren't going to be a factor in it and okay it's going to be the brewers right like that's going to be the the people the team are chasing or the team that everybody's chasing i think obviously the reds wanted to beat them at that point yeah but then as they kept getting beat by them they just kept trying harder and harder and harder and i think that's been what it is now has milwaukee has pitched great i mean mm -hmm. There's some of the times where I 
am happy the Reds have scratched across the one run they got, right? And I know what the kind of offense this team has. But, I mean, they really have pitched well. So there is some of that to it, um, trying too hard. Because I think that I, – I don't think – I know that they believe that they're a better team. I believe they're a better team. Um, but they've just got pitched really well. And it, they've gotten pitched by, you know, Corbin Burns. And they've gotten pitched by Freddie Peralta. And they've gotten pitched by some guys who have been around a little bit and can kind of make you eat out of the palm of their hand some if you're a young player, you know, if you know how to pitch. Like, guys can do that to you. Um, start giving you what you want, just not where you want it kind of thing. Like, oh, mm-hmm. he's probably looking for a fastball. Or I'm going to throw him way out of the zone. He's going to swing at it. Uh, so I think they've. it's been – as far as the cat and mouse goes, they've done a better job of being the cat. Um, but that's okay because they're done with them now. And they, the Reds do not have to beat the Milwaukee Brewers to win the division. And they don't have to play them anymore the rest of the year. So is it frustrating? Would I like to see them get another crack at them in September? You know, when the, when the postseason race is coming down to the wire and it'd be a big, awesome series? I would love that. And that's – I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that as far as the schedule goes. I, I like the schedule with them playing everybody but only because of this reason. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to see a Milwaukee Reds series in September when it is getting down to the wire. But um, I know a lot of people are going to read into the fact that the Brewers beat them a bunch. I, I'm not. I mean, it, it's more frustrating for me than alarming. It was just, it's just kind of one of those things. Well, let's dig into this team a little bit. And the big news of the weekend was the extension of David Bell. Uh, as we record, it's a Saturday. They just beat the Dodgers. David Bell gets an extension. <coughs> reaction to, to his extension and the length of time that he got uh, keeping him in Cincinnati through 2026? I think it's, I mean, it's a performance-based business, right? And the Reds are performed under David Bell. Um I guess he's been there five years now. He's gone through a COVID. He's gotten to a postseason. He's gone through a sell-off, kind of maybe a couple of them. Um, And now he's, you know, led this rebuild, which has happened faster than anybody thought. And why – I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, Is he the – this – so I've known David for a long time. I know David. (laughs) And some of what you get to see on TV is very measured. Um, you know, it's not quite the personality that I've seen that I've known David to have over the years. To me, that's unfortunate because I don't like the way David comes off on TV, but mm-hmm. I know David and I, and I really like him and I understand pro- that he's different in the clubhouse. Um, so I can, I know that a lot of people around Cincinnati aren't just in love with David Bell. Like I, I know that. And I, I said it on the air last night. I mean, I'm not trying to hide it. It just is what it is. David Bell doesn't need to be loved by the fans of Cincinnati. Would he like to be? Of course he would. He's winning ball games, And people are going to fall in love with winning ball games because the players, they're a reflection of their leadership, right? And David's the leader of the group. So they're a fun team. They're winning ball games. They love David Bell. If for no other reason, then that's the first manager they got when you get to the big leagues. That's a pretty big moment in a ball player's life when you get to the big leagues. Your first manager is kind of like your first love a little bit, right? So they're going to fight for him because they're in the big leagues. He has the room. Uh, they're going out. They continue to play hard. They continue to win games. Does everybody agree with every move you made? No. Nobody agree with every move Dusty Baker made. He's won 2,200 games, right? I mean, a lot of armchair GMs out there. 
I try not to do it because hindsight's twenty twenty. I've played the game. I know it's hard. It's like we were talking about logic earlier. Bring in, you know, Alex Young to face a left-handed hitter or whatever. It seems like the smart move, and the guy hits a home run. I mean, it just – it doesn't always work out. So, uh, I think David absolutely deserves it. it for me, it's a no-brainer. Um, they're growing together. These guys are growing at the big league level, and David's leading them, and he's leading them in the right direction. I don't know why you wouldn't. I think it's a absolute no-brainer. I, I love what you're saying about David the person because I've wondered myself uh, the version of David we see versus who David really is because you see this fiery guy on the field, right, when he's out there fighting right. for his players, yeah. when he's getting into it with umpires, when he's doing his thing. <laughs> And then you see David at a press conference and yeah, you're like, not good. there's gotta be somebody in the middle there, sure. right? Between those two sure. extremes. And I would, I would hope that over the, these next few years, uh, much like we've seen Joey Votto's personality emerge more and more and more, much like we see, uh, you know, even Nick crawl has gotten better at dealing with the media and, and yeah. speaking publicly and doing things. I hope that we get to see that real David that's in the middle there. You, you I, I don't. I think that you'll see some more of it, but not much, just because I know that David is so cognizant of the fact that you've got to stay on an even keel, like throughout all this. And I think he doesn't want his players getting too high or too low. They're going to have their personality. Obviously, he's not tried to shelter them in any way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they can all do their little celebrations in the dugout and on the field, and and he has not tempered that whatsoever. So the cult, the clubhouse culture he's had to have had a part of, right? So mm-hmm. I love the clubhouse culture. So use that as your measuring stick a little bit when you're thinking about David Bell and understand that when he's doing a media thing, he don't want to step on his tongue, say something stupid. That's Leave that to me. I'll do that for you. <laughs> uh, you know, he just wants to kind of keep it even keel because they are young players and they're watching what he's doing. And if he's not going crazy about it, not looking like an EKG, just kind of chilling out, I think that they – they recognize that I'll I'll say that much. All right, let's dig into this team a little bit. And obviously we don't have time to touch on every player and we're going to skip some guys that are are worthy of talking about, but there are some dudes that I would like to get your thoughts on what we're seeing from them now and where we think they could go. And I want to start with, you know, yesterday's starting pitcher in Brandon Williamson. Uh, When he came to the big leagues, uh, you know, I thought maybe he was called up a little early and circumstance necessitated it and that he was going to have an opportunity to really learn on the job. And his last three or four starts, it's really looked like he started to put some things together and turn a corner and become a guy that's really going to be fighting to keep a rotation spot now versus just a guy holding a rotation spot. Right. Uh, what do you see from him in, in his development and, and how high of a ceiling do you think he has as a starting pitcher in the majors? Uh, it, I, I, it's hard to say that as far as the ceiling goes. I guess that's your, the last part, but uh, to start with some of the development, because I, I thought the same thing. I mean, he got called up, and I'm like, okay, this guy's a placeholder. He's got a, you know, a 70 RA and AAA. He's walking a guy in inning. Like, that doesn't fly with me, like, at all. Um, you know, if you're, not, if you're walking guys, you're really not giving anybody a chance to help you. Um, so when he came up and he was better, like his, his debut was in, in Colorado. It was good. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I know it's a different – I know the game – the mentality can change from level to level. The game stays the same, right? So he gets up and he's maybe a little bit more focused in the big leagues. And, you know, the big leagues can bring out the best and some people it can bring out the worst. And, and that's, that's a true statement. Um, but he came up and he was, he was all right. And he, 
was never outstanding for the first, I don't know, what's he probably, hell, he's probably 12 or 15 starts in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he bent but never broke. It seemed like every game he went out, he was giving him a chance to win, and I always could find a way that he could get better during those games. But I love the fact that he was given every time they had a chance to win. So I was hanging my hat on that a little bit for him and like, okay, I'm seeing some things. Like, And then he had that rain game uh, in Baltimore, and it seemed like they kind of pissed him off a little bit. And when he came back out after that, like the velocity started to, to tick up, like he was angry a little bit. And, you know, then the mechanics start to clean up because you want to just be as efficient as possible. So you simplify everything. I mean, everybody does that. When anybody's struggling in the big leagues, they go back to their bikey. Whatever's the simplest little thing they can find to, to kind of clear their mind, have the fewest thoughts possible, like that's where they're going to go. So simplifies everything as mechanics becomes more efficient, becomes easier for him to throw harder. So – Fastball ticks up a little bit. The cutter follows suit. Goes from more of a, I don't know how else to say this, a slutter, like kind of somewhere between a slider and a cutter. Mm-hmm. Has some depth, a little slower, and now turns into a true cutter. It's 90-92. It's flat, what you want from a cutter, missing a barrel. Uh, and just started to – and leaning, being able to lean on that cutter to get into the strike zone with movement, you know, and some fur to it. Like, I mean, it's coming in nice, right? It's crisp. Um to have that be able to go to the top of the strike zone at 95. I saw him up to 96 yesterday. His changeup's been super swing and miss. I don't think he uses it enough. Uh, last night he started to flip in some early curveballs. Like there's still things that I see that he's going to be able to implement better at times. You know, I was talking to, you know, I guess Brian Giesen saw on the show and I'm like, I-, I love this guy because he's got a lot of weapons and ways to get different guys out. Um, and if he can command, you know, these four or five weapons that he's got, like there's really not, you can't really game plan against him because he's going to be able to game plan against you if he can execute it. So uh, certainly the last, you know, a couple times out, the numbers have been really good. I thought he was sharp again last night, you know, in a big spot. And um, what's the ceiling? I, I, I don't know because there's not been, I need to see, this has all been progression I've not really seen him regress. Like, right, he's, it's almost like he's continuing to get better every time out. That's great. You know, so I don't want to put a ceiling on him. I need to see him regress and recover from it uh, before I start, you know. I, I hate to do that to, to any of these guys, you know, uh, because I feel like it's selling them short, and then they start to hear that, and they're like, well, I can be this good, but I can't be any better, you know, type of deal. But uh, he's been great, and and I think you're exactly right. He is going to – it's going to be hard to take him out of the rotation. He continues to throw the ball like this. Well, if we look at Brandon Williamson and talk about, you know, his development and getting better and better and better from from where he started when he was called up. Uh, the opposite of that, I guess, is Andrew Abbott, who had just hit the ground at this this pace that was yeah. you know, it honestly caught me by surprise. I mean, I expected him to be good, but I didn't expect him to be this good this early. And, you know, I guess to, to phrase kind of a microcosm of the rest to you. Right. How is, is, is what Abbott is doing sustainable? Is, no. is this who he is? <laughs> like, what, what, uh, where did this come um, from? How long can it last? I guess. <laughs> okay, I mean, is it sustainable? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 is it sustainable for him? I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I can't put, is this the floor for him or is it closer to the ceiling? 
I don't know that yet. I haven't, I've only seen him make 10 starts, right? I mean, this is a back of the baseball card business for me. Anybody can do it once and anybody can probably do it for a year to do it, to go through the sophomore period where more of the scouting reports out. People have seen you. People have seen your arm action more than anything. I mean, the scouting report's a scouting report on a pitcher. Like, he throws 92 to 95. He's got a changeup cover, blah, blah, blah. That's never going to change for him. It's always going to be that. And it's always going to be in a range of velocity. Execution. Can he continue to execute at this level? Is that sustainable? It is. It's really hard to do. I mean, it's really tough to do. Those are the great ones, right? I mean, you start talking about when Johnny Cueto was here, he executed all the time. Right. And he did it for a few years. Um, so is it? Yes. Is it likely? Probably not. He's, you know, he'll, he'll come back to earth a little bit, but I, I love how he does it, man. He thinks that the right way um, he attacks. Well, I mean, he gets a little, you know, I mean, he flares a couple of balls and throws them, you know, over the backstop every, every once in a while, but sometimes that plays in his favor, but he's got just like Brandon Williamson, you know, four or five weapons that he can use. And when he's executing them well, He's hard to game plan against. I mean, that's probably those two more than anybody on this staff, uh, I'd say. Both unknowns to me pretty well. Both of those guys, pretty big unknowns for me. I know that Andrew was cruising through the minor leagues, you know, this year, punching everybody out. Um, I'd heard about, you know, Brandon coming over in the trade and, and was familiar with him. But, I mean, these two guys have arsenals from the left side that are, that are hard to game plan against. Hunter Green doesn't have this. Hunter Green's going to throw the fastball on the slider. Nick's going to throw the fastball on the slider. Lodolo. You know, Graham Ashcraft, cutter slider, right? It's just kind of two-pitch guys that are power stuff. Brandon and Andrew are not. They're the least power guys in the rotation and the most effective and probably going to be the hardest to hit. Uh, it's it's a great you it's almost like you work in tv and you have my show notes because you're, you're steering this conversation where i wanted to go next you talk about hunter green you talk about nick lodolo uh, those guys coming back soon we we think we got an update recently as yesterday i believe uh hunter yeah, we're hoping like mid-october mid or excuse me mid-august yeah and, and for both of them now uh nick lodolo's timeline moved up a little bit which is great the talking heads nationally, guys like me that, that talk about this team, you know, for, for fun and excitement, I guess. Uh, we're all talking about pitching. Are the Reds going to go get pitching? Are they going to make a trade? Are they bringing in a starter? Are they bringing in bullpen help? Do you think they need to do that? Does this team need to go out and get an arm right now? And, and if they don't, is it a disaster? Uh, it's not a disaster uh, if they don't because they're still going to have the pieces in place that are going to be good pieces for the next couple of years. They're not going to lose anything from the farm system. Right. And they're still good, right. They're in this position. They haven't added anybody. Right. They're a half game out of first place. They have done nothing and they're going to get better. Right. Because they're young and they have to, um, is it a disaster? No. Do they need somebody? My opinion? Yes. Now I am glad that Lance Lynn went to the Dodgers. I like Lance Lynn. I think he would have helped. Not, no, I didn't want him. Lucas Giolito, same guy. Would have, would have helped? Don't want him. I don't want to give up anybody for those guys. Those guys, to me, don't make as, are not as good as Hunter Green, who you're going to have back in a couple weeks. You can, you can stay afloat for that amount of time. My issue starts to become, when does Andrew Abbott run out of innings? Mm -hmm. When does Brandon Williamson run out of innings? How much stress can you continue to put on this bullpen? I'd like both. I'd like a starter and a reliever. Mm -hmm. I didn't want those guys who weren't really going to move the needle for me. There's only a couple out there. And the problem is 
I mean, they're going to cost something, right? Right. Blake Snell from the Padres has got the best ERA in baseball. I don't love Blake Snell, but he gets people out. So that's really right. all I need to care. That's really all I need to care. And I don't know Blake Snell personally. That's, I didn't mean that as a knock on him. He's pretty wild. Those he, a lot of walks. I don't love that. It's a high pitch count. He's not going to be your innings eater, but he's going to you're going to not give up runs, right? And that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that moves the needle for me. I saw Verlander's name attached to the Reds. Mm-hmm. He moves the needle for me. He's a guy that it brings instant credibility to your rotation that doesn't – I mean, that has some right now because they're young guys. But, like, you bring him in and these guys are like, holy shit, Justin right. Verlander, bro. Like, this is for real, right? We're going for it. We, we, we got our game one guy. And then we just kind of follow – he's going to go out there and throw seven, and then we just hang in, right? Okay. Max Scherzer, a guy, former teammate of mine, uh, grew up in high school together type of deal. I love Max. I love the way he competes. He's the same kind of guy. You bring those guys in and you bring game one, playoff experience, credibility to your rotation and organization. I mean, for that matter. Um, those three guys move the needle for me. As far as that goes, there's a couple left-handed bullpen options that I like. Alex Young has done a great job, but he needs help. Brooks Raley is a guy that was here for a half a minute. Uh, yeah. He's having a good – he's had a better career since he left. Uh, he's in New York with Verlander and Scherzer. So you talk about a package with those guys. Out in San Diego, they got a guy in the bullpen named Josh Hader. So if you start talking about packaging a Snell into him, I mean, is it going to cost a shitload of a prospect? Like, I don't know. That's – but it's got to move the needle for me because you're going to spend because the price for it's going to be high this year anyway, because there's not a ton of needle movers, right? I mean, you're getting like mid rotation starters that, you know, blah, blah. And I'd prefer a rental for the reds, which is more Snell Mm -hmm. than Verlander. Verlander's you're going to have to pay him 43 million next year. If you get him, you know, max, probably the same thing, probably not going to opt out. So you've got to consider that, but, um, because of the innings and because of right now, I don't, there's not a, I mean, Andrew Abbott will be my game one starter. He does not need to be your game one starter for me right now. So the, yeah, I, I think they need to get some, I think they need to get somebody, I guess is the, the short answer, <laughs> which well, I guess, which I guess well, I, I said 20 I minutes agree. ago. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and, and what Jeff and I have talked about on, on the show over the last couple of weeks is that as, as, as much as we want the Reds to make a move, you know, you, you have to balance it with what they would have yeah. to give up. And, and right we've on. talked about that, you know, they do have a, a, they do have some spare prospect capital <clears throat> and they have some, they have some players that they can trade. And the question that keeps circling around there and it's kind of in everyone's periphery uh, is the impact. Uh, you know, you talk about how excited the guys would be if, you know, Justin Verlander is walking through that door and is <gasps> walking through that door. What, is the impact if Jonathan India is walking out that door or if, if you're, you're, you're going to have to give to get. Yeah, so yeah. We've seen Jonathan's name associated twice now in trade rumors. And there seems yeah. to have been some impact from that. Uh, you've been in a clubhouse where guys have been traded. What, what is the true impact? Is it really as big a deal as everybody makes it out to be? Or is that more talking heads trying to fill airtime? Um, I'd say closer to B. Uh, closer to trying to fill airtime. I mean, yeah, do you, I mean, because a lot of times it's buddies, you know, I mean, every time it's buddies, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, anytime somebody walks out the door, you've spent months and months with this guy every single day and whether he 
that camaraderie helps you win games. So Jonathan is that to me a fair bit. Yeah. Um, it would be hard. It, even for me, he's kind of the odd man out to me. Um, as far as this goes, I don't think mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's going to stop him from winning games, but it'd be hard to see, you know, him leave because he wants to be here uh, and you want people to want to be at work for you. Right. You know, if you're any business you're running, you want people to want to be there. And this guy wants to be there. And that's, you know, that's meaningful to me and it's meaningful to the guys in the clubhouse. Sure. Um, this isn't the major league baseball friends association, you know, it's major league baseball and the goal is to win a world series. And what group puts you in the best position to do that? Those guys are always going to be friends with Jonathan India. I'm always going to be friends with Sean Marshall's and Travis Woods and uh, you know, whoever Ryan Hannigan's Arroyo's I'm always going to be friends with those guys. These guys will too. You don't get opportunities to win a World Series every year, and I'm not. This is not me proclaiming the Reds a World Series team. Could be, but um, yeah, it would suck. But you got to give to get, and so there's other conversations that you have which don't move my needle as much, but make sense. There's a guy in Seattle. I think his name is George Kirby, guy that's young. I think he might be even a rookie. Got some. Um, so there's team control there. Seattle needs somebody who can hit and run. Jonathan's got, you know, 15 homers, 15 steals, team control, talking about doing something like that. Is it a huge needle mover? Not yet, but this kid's a rookie and he's pretty good. Come in and he can help the rotation. Uh, so there's other little things like that. You know, where's the value? Nick's, Nick and his staff have done, Nick Crawl have done a great job of obviously finding value. I mean, this team's good. You know, they went out and they traded and everybody wanted to shoot him. Uh, because they got rid of Sonny Gray and they got rid of Luis Castillo and they got rid of this. Like, would you give up any of these guys to get them? I mean, Luis Castillo maybe, but um, <laughs> you know, would you undo those trades for the product that's on the field right now? Would you undo those trades? Like, no. So start kissing his ass, right? You got to let these things like take time to fill in because you know, hindsight's 2020 and now it's pretty clear he was right. And I don't hear a lot of people giving them any credit or the, you know, front office or whatever, and, and that kind of – that bothers me a little bit. You just – you got to wait to see how these things play out, man. It's, some things look good on paper. They don't look good on the field. So I'll have you know that the Locked on Reds podcast gave Nick Crawl an A-plus grade last season, and we have been singing his praises. So we're on it. Okay, we're right we're there. We're right there with you. Uh, two yes. more things real quick. Fast running out of time here, but I want to touch on just a couple more things super fast, and I'll get you out. Uh, I want to talk about Joey Votto for just a minute. Um, are we worried about Joey at this point? I mean, I, you no. know, 39 years old, coming off this injury, hitting a buck 88 right now. Is that a problem? No. Uh, look at look the two number six hitters in last night's lineup. Look at their numbers and then try to – create them relatively that's max muncie and joey Votto. uh max muncie is hitting 197 with 25 home runs and 70 rbis joey Votto's hitting 199 with eight homers and 25 rbis as far as games played if you magnified that and put if, if joey Votto was is max muncie yeah i'm totally fine with that he doesn't need to be out there running the damn bases he needs to be jogging them okay so let the other kids run let joey go up there and swing the bat and be a run producer uh there's swing and miss involved with that. The average is never going to be the 300 that it was. Uh, he can't do that anymore because of the pace of the game. But am I, I don't need Joey Votto to be 2012 Joey Votto. I need Joey Votto to fit in within the framework of this team and then need him to go up there and be a threat. All right, let's end on this question because uh, we haven't talked a lot about the young hitters uh, focused on pitching for obvious reasons. But let's just talk very quickly about 
these young hitters and we'll take them collectively. All of these rookies, uh, when you talk about the rookie of the year race, you know, I, I, maybe baseball should just give the Cincinnati Reds the rookie of the year this year. There's so much young rookie talent on this team. Uh, from your perspective, sitting there at the ballpark, every home game, watching every game, doing your job. Talk about how this group hits you. Talk about what you're seeing. I'm just, I want you to free, I'll let you just freewheel here a little bit, talking about these young hitters and this young team. Uh, what do I see? What It's just been crazy to me the how all of them, this is how it's supposed to be. I, I'll start with that because there's been times over the past few years where they're just calling up warm bodies, like guys that are not prepared to play in the big leagues. So for as far as player development guys, they've identified guys who were close. They've done a good job at continuing to develop them into winning players, not just good skill players. They're winning players. So when they come to the big leagues, they are good and they're expecting to win. Uh, so that's, I think, key number one. Uh, but then the fact that they did, I think that's what's crazy. Like they did it. Like it worked. Like these guys come up and they're not in awe of the situation. They expect to be here because they outperformed their level. Like Ellie did not get called up as a, some kind of a favor. Matt McClain didn't get called up as some kind of a favor and they didn't manipulate service time. Like the guys were too good to be playing at that level. They deserved to be in the big leagues. They brought them to the big leagues. They hit the ground running because they brought them up at the proper time. Now they're just kind of, they're handling it like they've been here for a long time. And I think that's the cool. And they all are. They all talk the game the same way, which is what I hear. You know, I don't know if people are listening to that kind of stuff. Like I'm watching body language and I'm watching and I'm listening as much as anything. Like I see their actions on the field. I see their numbers, what they're producing. Yeah, that's obviously very important, but I'm looking for the sustainability factor. And I see and I find sustainability factor in the way that you're walking around, the way that you handle yourself, the way that you're interacting with your teammates kind of anything that doesn't have to do with hitting a baseball. If you're in the big leagues, you should be able to hit, right? I mean, you're, you're mm -hmm. a good player to be in the big leagues. It's the other stuff on the periphery that I'm looking for. And these guys have it, man. Like, yeah, they talk it right. They play the game the right way. It's not just lip service. Uh, and they've been as fun of a team to watch in all of baseball. So uh, they're going through it together, which is, which is beneficial. You know, you've got guys that you played with some of the minor leagues and you have an idea of what they're about and you come up. Uh, and you're just continue to do that. And there's comfort in having guys there to continue to do that with your double play partner up the middle, your, you know, guys that you're communicating with in the outfield, the pitcher catcher relationship. So there's just a lot, a lot of good things that are going on with this team. And, and they're this, I'll say collectively closer to the floor than the ceiling. All right, Sam, I appreciate so much the time you've given and for you being here. Listen, we love you on the pre and the post and uh, great having you still around this organization. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. We're going to be in everyone's podcast feeds the rest of the season, all season long. And Sam, hope we can have you back sometime. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. We'll be back uh, in your feeds tomorrow.